Hi, my name is John Kristen, and this is Out of Bounds, Daily Bruins Sports Podcast. Hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Bounds. I am your host, John Kristen, a senior staff writer here at the Daily Bruin. I could not be more excited to record our first episode of 2023. This is my second time recording it because Sam and Gavin won't stop laughing. But it's two of our guests, sports editor Sam Settleman and staff writer Gavin Carlson. And we're also joined by assistant sports editor Grace Whitaker for the first time on the pod. So welcome, everyone. We are going to talk about some men's and women's basketball. Um, we are going to start with men's basketball, who's coming off a big weekend against Arizona State in Arizona, a one-and-one weekend in which they won against Arizona State. A close game, back-and-forth game that they ended up pulling out, and then Arizona, they lost 52-58. It was one of their lowest-scoring games of the Mick Cronin era. It was their, one of the worst shooting games of the Mick Cronin era. It was just a schlock to watch, and it was not fun. Um, one person who watched it with me, or who I was slacking during, was Sam. So, Sam, what are your thoughts on, on this weekend of UCLA men's basketball? I feel like it might be an unpopular take, but I'm going to say this was a good road trip for UCLA I mean obviously you want to get wins against Arizona State and Arizona on the road um, but splitting those two games especially getting that win over Arizona State the way they started that game in the first half um, to close out like that on the road I think is a big step forward for this program obviously the 14 game win streak comes to an end against Arizona um, and maybe the score looks a little closer than the game actually was um, because of that run at the end of the game but ultimately I think it's a decent road trip I think there were some things that could have gone differently in the Arizona game, and it's a totally different ball game. Neither team shot the ball well, so I don't think you can use that as an excuse. But, I mean, you look at Dembona's foul in the first minute of the game. They had to go to a three-man rotation at center um, pretty early in the game with Bona getting in foul trouble too. Um, so I think some things got, could have gone differently, and they could have pulled out a game like that. Um, but overall, positive signs, I would say, from the road trip. Yeah, I think it's two very classic Mick Cronin games in which, um, you know, kind of like boxing matches, they pound for pound, punch for punch, whatever. Um, but I do think it's indicative of an offense that really is not playing well of late. They scored 74 against Arizona State, but a lot of that was the second half. The first half, again, was not fun to watch, was not a good half offensively. Um, but 52 against Arizona is a season low. And then just going back to the few weeks before that, Colorado, they only scored 68. Utah, they only scored 68 as well. 60 against USC um, the week before that. And it's just an offense that not a lot of ball movement, just a lot of standing around watching, um, a lot of one-on-one isolations. And... Sam said it, just not good shooting. And the shots will eventually fall, you think, because they do have a lot of good shooters, a lot of talented shooters shooters on this team. Um, but, you know, they're not the most open shots sometimes. A lot of them are end-of-possession heaves. We're well, not heaves, but a uh, hand in his face, whatever. Um, so I think it's indicative of an offense that is struggling to find its footing, and that is not uncommon in a mid Cronin coached offense. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think obviously everybody knows that defense is going to be this team's calling card and you can't maybe expect them to be both a top 10 defensive and offensive team. Um, but yeah, I think they've lost a lot of creativity on offense. And part of that, you would probably say missing Amari Bailey for, for this seven game stretch, whatever it was, um, missing an extra shot creator, um, somebody who can kind of get the ball to go in the hoop without necessarily needing a perfect offense around him. Um, they miss a guy like that, I think, but yeah, I don't know if that's an excuse um, for the way this offense has been performing as of late. I mean, the half-court offense, like you said, it's there's nothing there, really. Um, and I don't expect this team to be a perfect offensive team, but they're going to have to play a whole lot better than that if if they're going to win anything significant this year. Yeah, and I think a common thing to look at when uh, judging a team's offense is process versus result. If they have good process and the result's not there, then that's just basketball. Sometimes you miss shots. But a lot of this, the process doesn't look like it should be what it is. It looks like the wrong process. If Kenny Nuba checks into the game because of Dems in foul trouble and they do a post-entry pass right away to Kenny Nuba, 
Like that that's not really good basketball. That's not not something you'd see in the pros. Not many pick and rolls, not a lot of movement. So it's kind of bad process and bad results, which kind of correlate with each other. Um, UCLA is now wearing 22nd in Ken Palm's adjusted offense. They were top 10 for a lot of the season, so they're starting to fall there. They're 250th in tempo, which is not uncommon for McCrone and coach teams, but it leads to a lot of games like this and a lot of games that they could lose if the other team has a hot shooting night, um, which, which will be interesting come come March. Yeah, John, you talked about the uh, the pace of play. Obviously, McCronin likes playing slow. Um, what what comes with that is that when you're playing a team that you're a lot better than, you keep them in a game. And when you're playing a team that you might be worse than or might be having a worse shooting night, then it keeps you in a game. And I think we've seen that not only in the past two games, but sort of this entire stretch without Amari Bailey, like Sam was saying. People are forgetting the Utah game was a boring slugfest that was close throughout the first half. Uh, the Colorado game, obviously, both teams looked atrocious offensively and you know UCLA should be blowing those teams out and it took big second half runs for them to do so so in in that regard you keep teams that are worse than you in games for longer because of how slow you're playing and and how you know suboptimal the offense can look at times but at the same time you know the offense was atrocious against Arizona and yet Arizona likes playing up tempo they like pushing the break they have a probably a more athletic team than UCLA and yet you lose by six points in a raucous environment that not many teams win at it shows that, you know, it's it's ugly to watch and it's totally not Hollywood, totally not L.A., but when UCLA is struggling offensively, they can still win games because of how we play. And I think we're still more talented than a majority of the teams in the Pac-12 and really the whole country. So we can survive games where we don't play well offensively because of mixed style and because of how gritty we can be. So, you know, I, I'm kind of with Sam. I think a lot of people, including myself, were expecting you to split going into this road trip. I think for, you know, fanfare, it would have been nice to beat Arizona. Um, instead of Arizona State. But honestly, for the Pac-12 standings, the Arizona State win is argu- arguably more important. So I think it's a, a, a successful road trip nonetheless. Yeah, and I will say this, and I think both of you alluded to it, but I think this team has the potential to be pretty decent offensively. I mean, and to be a pretty diverse offense too, because they have a guy, a good distributor in Tiger Campbell. They have a great shooter in David Singleton. They have a guy who like Adem Bona who can, I mean, really make a lot of things happen down low. Um, so I think they can be a good offense. They just really haven't showed anything like that in the half court so far these past couple of games. Um, and Amari Bailey should make a difference when he comes back, but we'll have to see how that plays out the rest of the season. Just to take a step back and give some context to the conversation is, um, UCLA is right now currently first place in the Pac-12 with an 8-1 and one conference record. That was their first conference loss. Um, next team is Utah at 7-3, which probably isn't going to hold up, and then Arizona at 6-3. So it takes some work for UCLA to fall off that top spot. Um, so it's just splitting the weekend was a success in that sense. You couldn't lose two there. They only lose one, and they're by right now got to be the heavy favorites to, to win the Pac-12, at least regular season crown. Um, and so that, that this is an important weekend because that probably will be their toughest two road games back-to-back. Um, they play all season, and they handled it for the most part pretty well. It's just you'd hope some of that offensive stuff gets cleaned up before you know Pac-12 tournament time or before some of the uh, the rest of the conference play. Um, but to wrap up this segment, I thought Sam and I could just give our most intriguing UCLA player for the rest of the season, someone who's an X-Factor, someone who can change tides of the game by himself or just how he's playing or if he doesn't play. So, Sam, start us off. Yeah, I think I'm going to say Adem Bona because, I mean – if there's one guy that you don't really know what you're going to get on a game-by-game basis, it's probably him. Um, he could be at two fouls in the first five minutes, and you wouldn't see him the rest of the game. Or he could be the type of guy who's going to ignite a 10-0 run and make make a difference in a game, which we've seen both of so far. And I think these last couple, six, seven games, whatever it is, he started to figure it out, both on the offensive and defensive end. I think, I think we've started to see that athleticism that we all heard about coming into 
his tenure in at UCLA. Um, I think we're starting to see that translate a little bit um, on the floor now. And I think if he can stay out of foul trouble, that's really all he needs to be successful um, because he, he can make an o- impact on offense and defense. Um, but obviously, if he's not going to see the floor, and we know that Mick Cronin has a very short leash with him, um, but if he's not going to see the floor, he's not going to make an impact, obviously. So um, I think if he gets time and he can avoid foul trouble, I mean, I think even against Arizona, once he picked up that first one, he was almost begging for another foul. I mean, he really wasn't making much of an effort, I think, to stay out of foul trouble. Um, and I think that's going to really hurt UCLA in a big game if if he gets in foul trouble again. I do think Mick could trust his bigs a little more to not foul. I think subbing him out in the first minute um, with a foul was a little excessive. Yeah. I think you got to trust your guys there. Um, when he gets two fouls, he gets two fouls. You don't play him the rest of the half. But I think changing your whole rotations a minute into the game based on one foul is kind of excessive. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think he's obviously the best big on this team without a doubt, and you really can't afford to have him off the floor for 35 minutes in a game, especially a minute into the game. Um, having him sub out is obviously a big loss. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think Mick could for sure have a bigger leash with him. And you could also play some different centers instead of those three. Um, some Jaime Hawkes at center, some Jalen Clark at center um, would be some fun looks, but Mick Cronin does not watch modern NBA basketball, apparently. So I could go a lot of different ways for my most intriguing players. Obviously, there's Jaime Hawkes, Tiger Campbell, Jalen Clark, but those are too easy. Um, I'm going to go a little bit down the line and say David Singleton. David Singleton obviously has been a starter since Amari Bailey went down. And the first few games he played well, um, but of late he has not shot the ball well. He had a good game against Arizona State. I'll give him that 21 points, 4 of 6 from 3. Um, but 0 for 3 from 3 against Utah, 0 for 6 against Colorado, and then 0 for 3 against Arizona. And the offense just does not look right when he's not shooting the ball well. And I think a lot of the early season stuff, he was shooting the ball really well, but that wasn't sustainable. And I think maybe he's a little bit overtasked playing, you know, 35, 36, 38 minutes again without Amari Bailey out there. Um, and, you know, he tries to, you know, be the leader out there and all that. And he's getting in the faces of Dylan Andrew when he gets a technical. And sometimes that's a, a little bit much at times. He goes over the top to really let people know he's the team leader and whatnot. Um, and I think just a more cool, collected, um, and more consistent David Singleton would help this team a lot. That changes, that raises the floor of this team mightily if David Singleton's shooting the ball at a consistent level. Um which I know it's a one game, one bad shooting game, but it's been a few in a row now. And that's just kind of, that's why the offense probably has looked so bad is they haven't had enough of that outside threat. I mean, you said not sustainable in terms of the shooting. I think it probably is. I, we've seen David Singleton shoot at a 45% clip, whatever it is for a season. But like you said about the minutes, I think, you know, if he's playing 36 minutes, whatever it is, he's going to take some bad shots. But he, if he's playing 20 minutes in a more limited six man role, I think he can have a significant impact on this offense because you need a guy like that. Um, but with Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon getting some more time, getting a little more experience, I think if they can slot into that rotation a bit and take some of his minutes, it makes everybody better. Transitioning to UCLA women's basketball. UCLA women's basketball is coming off a pair of road wins at Washington and at Washington State. Both are close games. We have Gavin and Grace here to talk about that as they were both covering those games. Gavin wrote the rap for Washington. Grace edited that one. Um, so take it away, guys. Gavin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the Washington game was quite a roller coaster. Um, Washington's not a great team. They're bottom three, I think, in the Pac-12 standings. And UCLA got completely outplayed for the first half. Um, they fell behind by as many as 12 with just seconds left in the half. And 
you're going into the halftime break looking like this is going to be a rough road ahead if, if you don't come back from this game against Washington. Heads are going to roll. It's not a good team. Charisma Osborne makes a shot from about 50 feet away beyond half court, and suddenly Washington forgot how to play basketball, and, and you say they looked like a top-10 team again. They opened the second half on a 14-0 run, so it totaled 17-0 if you include the Charisma Osborne half-court shot. And suddenly, you know, UCLA pulls out a close win on the road, and it looks like just a solid win that you're going to have in a great conference like the Pac-12. Oh, you play a solid team, even a bottom-half team. It's going to be close. You'll win by five or six, and you move along. Um, but I think it it hid a lot of the issues that this team has right now um, in terms of offensively. They're kind of similar to the men's team. They just have these lulls where they don't do anything but pass the ball around the, the perimeter, and Charisma Osborne takes a bad shot. Uh, it's why she's shooting, like, 25% over the past six or seven games. Uh, she takes a lot of bad shots at the end of the shot clock. And so I think this team, they're, they're a young team. They're going to grow. They're going to get better. And the fact that you go on any road trip with a bunch of freshmen and go 2-0, and um, it's a great look. But there, there's some questions for sure. I think the Washington game pointed out something that's been happening a lot recently where they're They've been like digging themselves into a hole very early in the game and needing to claw their way back out. I mean, we saw that at USC, with USC, with Cal, with Washington, and I think they've got a lot of areas they need to improve on. Like Sam and I did with most intriguing players, who are your most intriguing players for the rest of the season for women's basketball? When the season started out with the number one recruiting class, I was expecting Kiki Rice to obviously make a big impact. And then I was also expecting a lot out of Gabriela Hawkes, but one that's kind of come out and been better than expected, honestly, was London Jones. She's been making a lot of big games and leading a lot of big comebacks in these games. And I mean, she had 22 points against USC. Um, I'd say like the only area where she needs to improve is a little more consistency. I mean, she had 18 points against Cal and then five days later against Washington, she scored zero. So yeah, London Jones has, has been a huge, you know, contributor in the backcourt. Charisma's been hurt and had some off games. So definitely good to see London Jones step up and she'll continue to grow. She's very young. Um, but she's already a big contributor. I'm going to go with another freshman and probably the least advertised freshman coming into the year, and that's Lena Sontag, the international recruit, I think the lowest ranked of the five recruits coming in. Um, but she's played a big role for this team in the front court. Obviously, we have Emily Bassoir, and she's been a very solid contributor coming off a season where she tore ACL. She's been pretty solid coming off an injury like that. But at the end of the day, Lena Sontag has been surprisingly, she's getting a lot of minutes, and she's not making the mistakes that you'd expect a young big to make. She's not getting into foul trouble early on. I think Christina Walla is a little bit more of a raw sort of emotional center at times that can get into foul trouble, maybe make a mistake here or there. But Lena seems very calm and composed. She had a big game against Washington, helped UCLA in that comeback. She had 11 points, her second most on the season. I think she added eight rebounds. She's been very consistent and a limited role that's sort of growing throughout the season. And I think we're going to see some wear and tear on Emily as the season goes on. It's very hard to come back from an ACL. Um, and, and Lena might be starting games at some point, maybe in a, a lesser game against a, a not-ranked team. So I think big things ahead for Lena Sontag. She could be um, one of the first players off the bench throughout the rest of the season. We're going to get kicked out of the office soon. We're out of time, so that's going to wrap us up. Thank you, Sam, Grace, and Gavin for being on here today. They were great. Out of Bounds is brought to you by The Daily Bruin, UCLA student newspaper. You can listen to this show and others by The Daily Bruin on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And a transcript for this show is always available on dailybruin.com. Thanks, everyone.